2: What's going on, everybody? This is the Prevent Defense Podcast on the Radio.com Digital Sports Network. I am Elliot Shore Parks, along with the one, the only, the legendary Brian Baldinger. And wanted to remind you guys off the top that, of course, the Prevent Defense Podcast is brought to you by ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. You can try ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. So, of course, Baldy, we're always down with ZipRecruiter, and we're always down to talk football pretty crazy we're a quarter away through the season so far how you doing man
1: I'm great I mean uh, you know I'm not sore or anything like that Elliot like some of the other teams <laughs> and some of the players are but you know I always been saying now for a number of years that September's the new August and so I don't care really what your record is I mean if you're one and three you can you can come out of the crypto oh, and four it's hard but if you're one and three right now certainly I think there's 13 two and two teams. The the most important thing about the month of September in this league right now is to take a, a real hard look at yourself yeah. and just see what is broken, what can be fixed, what you need to get done, what isn't working, what you could do to get it working. I mean, you have to really self-evaluate yourself. That's what September is about. I saw teams fix a lot of issues in the last week. And so now that we get into October here and, you know, teams will start looking to stack some wins here and start to make that march, you know, towards January in the playoff season, I think that's all September is about. And so the first month we saw some good football. We saw a lot of bad football. We saw teams that struggled, but they're capable of coming out of the struggles if they do certain things. And so that's where we're at right now in this whole business.
2: So I, I do agree with you uh, that you know in some ways September is the new preseason, especially with how little the starters and meaningful players play in the preseason. But the only where only place I would disagree with you, and we have this talk a lot in Philadelphia right now with the Eagles at two and two is I do think the beginning of the season can be the trendsetter for your team. We saw in 2017 here in Philadelphia where the Eagles were special almost from the jump. I mean, they get out to a good start. They set that precedent of, okay, we're a dominant team, we're a special team, and they rode that. And I think when you look around the league, you see some teams have been able to do that. I think San Francisco getting off to a great start has really impacted what they can be this year. Buffalo getting off to that start I think has done it as well. So I do think the first month can set a mindset and just kind of a, give the confidence and the swagger to a team that starts off well. Or if you get smacked in the mouth early, it can really change things.
1: Well, you know, if you look closely at the Eagles in 2017, Elliot. Yeah. They're, they go to Kansas City and they get beat. And they get beat pretty badly. They come back home and they play the Giants. And they sign a field goal kicker that kicks a 61-yard field goal as time expires to beat the Giants. Now, not a lot of teams are kicking 61-yard field goals to win a game. But they did yeah. that day. And then they went across the country to the chargers. And it was a dogfight until the fourth quarter. And the Eagles figured out that LeGarrette Blunt was a good closer. And, you know, they finished that game out and it gave that team a big lift on that five and a half hour ride home after winning, um, you know, against the chargers. And so then they did get on a roll and they played a lot of bad teams, San Francisco, Arizona, a bunch of yep. bad teams in that stretch. So you have to look, every situation is different. Um, but if you just look at the Eagles last Thursday night you know in Green Bay, they got two really important pieces back on the offense. They got Dallas Goddard back, and I've been saying for two weeks that the running game will never look good until Goddard gets out there. He's their strong side end. He's, he's a guy that can handle defensive ends and linebackers. He really makes a difference in the run game. The Eagles ran for 173 yards, and they got Alshon Jeffrey back. And it's just another guy that really Carson can really go to because he just trusts them. And there's no reason mm. not to trust Alshon. He, he can win man coverage. He can win a man uh, in zone coverage. He can win with, you know, con- contested 50-50 balls. And so in one week, the Eagles went from losing to the Lions and the sky was falling to getting two key components back on a night where they couldn't keep a, a cornerback healthy against Aaron Rodgers. They got to bring a guy off the practice squad, Qu- uh, Craig James, at the very end to make a play in the end zone. To get out of there with the victory, but it's week to week, but it also, your offense will look different when you have your star players back in the lineup,
2: and, and that's what happened to the Eagles. So I was going to wait to get into it, but that was, those are some good points on the Eagles, so why don't we just, let's just dive right into it. So yeah. we're each going to name one team we're most, most impressed with so far this season, and one team we're least impressed with. When I looked at the NFC, the team I was least impressed with so far it was the Eagles, and let me explain to you why. Now, you're right. Their week four game in Green Bay, and we talked before that game about how big that was. Had they fallen to one and three, it's much different. But when I just look at the football they've played, they weren't overly impressive against the Redskins in week one. They were not; they didn't look good against Atlanta in week two. They lost to the Lions in week three. Now, the Lions might be may, might end up being better than we think. I mean, they were, they were pretty close to being the Chiefs there in, in Detroit. And then you go to Green Bay, and you play really well. But at two and two, I heard all offseason— Eagles have the best roster in the NFL. Carson Wentz is going to win MVP. Howie Rosen's the best GM in the league. Maybe those things will ultimately prove to be true. Carson is you know, now ticking up closer to MVP after that win in Green Bay. And at 2-2, two two, the season's not over. But... I expected this team just to look better They didn't have to be four0 they just have to look better. there's no pass rush the cornerbacks have struggled. the offense has been extremely inconsistent to start games. I thought Doug Peterson put on a clinic Thursday night with his game planning and he can severely outcoach the Packers coaching staff but where's that been all season So the Eagles are my team that's been least impressive to me so far in the NFC through the first four games.
1: Well I would take that the, the, the team that's been most impressive to me. Is a team that beat the Eagles and the Detroit Lions. Um, you know, they're 2-1-1. One, one. It's not the best record, obviously. But, you know, they, the Kyle Murray and, and the Arizona Cardinals have this furious comeback in the fourth quarter uh, to tie him. And then if you watch Patrick Mahomes, who is the league MVP again, through yep. the first quarter of the season, he hasn't thrown an interception, 10 touchdowns. But he engineers a two-minute drive with no timeouts left. And they go 79 yards and 13 plays. He throws to a kid named Byron Pringle on a big play. He runs on fourth and eight up the middle for 15 yards. I mean, he engineered a comeback and a drive that sometimes you can only do in practice on a Friday in shorts. It was just that perfect. And so, but I'm saying the Lions play without Darius Slay, their best defensive back. But I I watch how they play the game right now. Stafford's a much better player than he has been. T.J. Hawkinson is a great pick. The offensive line looks much better because of the way the offense is now being run with two tight ends on the field. Defensively, their secondary, especially when Slay gets healthy, can go up against just about any secondary in the league right now. And if you watch the things that Matt Patricia does, you honestly watch, you're watching a carbon copy of what the Patriots do. They don't let you off the line of scrimmage clean. They take away your best weapon. Tight ends aren't running free the way Travis Kelsey didn't run free in that game. They just do a lot of things well. And I think that team in the in a very competitive NFC North is going to be there all the way to the end this year. In fact, it, it won't even surprise me if somehow they come out as a playoff team. Now, that's a big stretch in a tough division. But I think the Lions have surprised me, and I think they're going to surprise a lot of teams in this league.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, they certainly surprised the Eagles in Week 3 and then almost beat the Chiefs, as you mentioned. Them making the playoffs would be pretty wild. I mean, when you consider that, you know, uh, Matt Patricio might have come into this season a little bit on the hot seat. I mean, only year two, but certainly with a disappointing first year. If he could even get them to week 17 in the playoff hunt, I think they would view that as, as a step in the right direction in Detroit, just simply to be in that playoff race. Um, all right. The, in the NFC, you, you mentioned a team that's impressed you the most. What's a team that you've been really disappointed with so far?
1: Oh, the Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos, I mean, they, they lose last, I mean, they lose in a different fashion every single week. I mean, last week they lose to Gardner Minshew in the Jacksonville Jaguars. They've got a commanding 17 to six lead and there's Von Miller. And before Bradley Chubb, you know, tore his ACL, I mean, just, just awful, awful luck to a great young player. But before he tore his ACL, they, they really couldn't knock him out just the way they can't knock anybody out. Um, you know, they, they turn the ball over in Green Bay the week before in a 10-10 to game, and they lose the game. Uh, they find a way to lose to Chicago Bears. Um, they're the most disappointing team because I think they they address the offensive line. They've got two good backs. They've got a rookie tight end that I know can – I mean, all they have all the things. And they finally gave, you know, Vic Fangio a shot that a lot of people thought was long overdue. And they're 0-4. And they might not be able to come out of this crypt right now. They can't take the ball away. They can't sack the quarterback. And Vic Fangio has put together great defenses everywhere he's ever been. And they're not playing great defense. So, to me, the Denver Broncos are easily the most disappointing team to me.
2: Yeah, and you, now Bradley Chubb is gone. At 0-4, it's going to be tough for the Broncos. For me, the team that's been most impressive in the NFC is the New Orleans Saints. And I'll tell you why. 3-1 and one without Drew Brees. Coming off two straight wins. At Seattle, home versus Dallas. When Drew Brees went down, I mean, I'm sure we talked about it on this pod. Maybe you didn't feel this way, but I know I did. I thought their season was in serious danger because if you go on a one in five, you know, stint, if Drew Brees is out six weeks, as some were saying, four to six weeks, then you're in serious tr- trouble. Especially in an NFC, where making the playoffs is going to be very difficult. Getting one of those wild cards is not going to be easy. To beat that Cowboys team, and now it's in New Orleans. And I'll I'll note that that win showed me once again New Orleans is the toughest place to play in the NFL. That is the toughest stadium to go into and get a win. And that that proved it. Sean Payton did an excellent job. Wasn't exactly a, you know, 2019 NFL type game where there was 30 plus points on each side, but they got the win, and that's what matters against a really good Cowboys team. So, for the Saints to hold on after Drew Brees going down to go 2 and 0 without him, to sit at 3 and 1 after 4 games, I think they're they've probably been the most impressive team in the NFC so far. I
1: agree with you. I mean, I, I agree with everything you just said. The week before, they went up to Seattle, and, uh, you know, they they found a way to beat Seattle. They tur- took a kickoff back. Uh, Alvin Kamara was unbelievable. Um, but in that game against Dallas, in fact, on one of my Baldy's breakdowns, I showed how the Saints defense shut down, I and mean, I mean shut down Ezekiel Elliott. And they just physically beat a great offensive line at the point of attack. And it was so it was so uh, eye-opening that when I tweeted it, Ezekiel Elliott retweeted it right away. Like I mean, he must have been watching it as soon as I put it out there because he wanted to see how they held him under two yards of carry. Um, it was big on big, and I mean, everybody, Marcus Davenport, Sheldon Rankins came back from that horrible injury in the divisional playoff game from a year ago. Uh, uh, Anya Mata is a vastly underrated player. Malcolm Brown, Cam Jordan plays great every week. I mean, they physically whipped the Cowboys up front. And then they put Marshawn Lattimore uh, on Amari Cooper. And at halftime, when Amari went in there to get his orange slices, Marshawn Lattimore cut the oranges up for him. Uh, You know, he followed him everywhere he went all game long. (laughs) And he he basically took Amari Cooper out of the lineup. And when you take Amari out and you take Ezekiel out and you said, "Okay, Dak, you go beat us with everything else you got. They couldn't do it.
2: This point. I think we're looking at a New Orleans-Kansas City Super Bowl. If I had to pick right now, I think the path to the Super Bowl is going to go through New Orleans in the NFC, and I don't think anybody's going to go into there and beat them. I mean, the Rams did it last year, but coming off that loss to Tampa Bay, who, by the way, is better than I expected. Bruce Arians gets a lot of credit down there. But I don't see anybody going into New Orleans and beating the Saints. And we wouldn't be talking about the quarter point of the NFL if we didn't talk about those, those Kansas City Chiefs. 4 0 Close win in Detroit, Patrick Mahomes leads him down the field, one of, you know, he has a lot of signature moments already, but one of the signature type drives for him, because they're normally winning games by so much, clearly very impressive from them. I want to ask you, obviously, we know Patrick Mahomes is really good. We know Andy Reid is very good. But what is it about that combination that makes the offense so special? Because it's not just the quarterback and the head coach. I mean, that offense is unreal to watch. What do they do schematically that makes them so tough to defend?
1: Well, I spent time uh, with Kurt Warner this weekend. I was out there in Los Angeles. I did the Rams game. I saw Kurt at the at the game, but we talk all, all week, um, every week anyways. But the one thing that Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes do, first of all, if you watch Andy Reid, at the end of every series, he sits right next to Patrick Mahomes, and they go through every single play together. Now, not a lot of head coaches do it. I mean, I do see Sean McVay sitting out with Jared Goff, but not a lot of guys do it and more need to do it. But I don't know that it would make a difference if a lot of guys do it. The good thing that I see is that Patrick Mahomes sees the game the way Andy Reid sees the game. And then they do a tremendous amount of work all week to come up with the right game plan so that. When they take Travis Kelsey out of the game, the way Detroit tried, there's other options for Patrick Mahomes to go to, which he did on Sunday, which he has done before. They're doing this without Tyreek Hill, which might be the most dangerous wide receiver in the NFL. They've done it without their starting running back. But all those things. But I think the big thing is, I think that Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid are truly in cahoots and they see the game plan, and they see the plays, and they see the defense through the same set of eyes. And that sounds like it should be obvious, but it's far from it's it's far from what really happens in the NFL.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, you watch every snap of every game, it you see quarterback head coaches duos around the league that sometimes don't seem to be on the same page. So when you get maybe the best offensive mind of football, and Andy Reid, with the quarterback right now who's playing at better than any other position, that's what you get with the Kansas City Chiefs. Last question before we get into some different topics here. Coach of the year. I think we'd both agree the MVP so far is Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he's probably going to win the award again, which is wild to think in his first year as a starter. He'll have two MVPs. Coach of the year. I'm going to go with Kyle Shanahan San Francisco 49ers. They're 3-0. and They have the fourth best offense in the league in terms of yards, and he's doing it without any real elite talent on that team. I mean, they have George Kittle, obviously, at tight end. Jimmy Garoppolo uh, still ra- relatively unproven. They don't have any real dominant wide receivers. I think what he's doing up there in San Francisco is extremely special. Uh, he's just proving he's one of the best X and O's types head coaches in the NFL. What have you seen from Cal Shanahan so far? And then who is your uh, head coach of the year so far through the first four games?
1: Well, I would I would disagree about elite talent in San Francisco. I mean, DeForest Buckner okay. is a dominant defensive tackle. Uh, they do well, I'm talking on, on and, offense. Well, on I,
2: offense.
1: I mean. Yeah, but even even with that, I mean, Kyle Shanahan, what he values more than anything is smart players and mm-hmm. speed. And he's got a lot of speed. I mean, when you look at Marquise Goodwin and Dante Pettis, they can take the top off any defense in this league. They can flat out fly. Now, Debo Samuel is on his way to becoming an elite player. George Kittle is that player. Uh, but I will say that Look, Mike McDaniels is the highest paid assistant coach in football. He makes a million and a half dollars a year. Everywhere Kyle goes, Mike McDaniels goes. They can't get him out of there. He makes a million and a half dollars a year, and he designs the run game. And so if you look at Matt Breida right now, and you look at Raheem Mostert and Kyle Juszczyk, I mean, they can scheme the run game as well as anybody in this whole league. It's a big part of what they do because they have a play-action pass off every single run that they have. But I would agree. I mean, Kyle Shanahan has always been able to design offense. When he was in Cleveland, when he was in Atlanta, Matt Ryan won his MVP trophy. They went to a Super Bowl game. Uh, he did it with three different quarterbacks, including a in Nick Mullins last year. Uh, they still had a good offense, but they're going to get better. They're they're without their left tackle right now. They've only played three games. Uh, they did get Pittsburgh with, uh, you know, with Mason Rudolph make his first NFL start. Uh, I want to see a little bit more before I say that they're their surprise team and Kyle Shanahan is the coach here. I would say this. You did skim over it, but I was I did see Tampa last week. Yes. Um, they're a missed 34 yard field goal away from being three and one. They've been in every game they played. They have the number one run defense in all of football, both the fewest rush yards, 59 yards a game, lowest rush average, 2.9 yards a game. They have the defensive MVP of the league. Right now, in uh, Shaq Barrett, who has nine sacks, three force fumbles, and an interception. I mean, that's a ledger that most outside linebackers, defensive ends, would take over 16 games. And he's yeah. done it in four. Uh, they They've got a rookie safety right now that is, from, uh, that is just playing fantastic football, Edwards. So, and Jameis Winston has played extremely well since that first loss to San Francisco. And yeah, I, I, w- I want to continue pick your, to
2: play. I want to pick your brain on real quick. I just wanted to pick pick your brain a little more extensively on Jameis Winston because he's been extremely up and down throughout his career career as Buccaneers fans well know him and Marcus Mariota have kind of been the same way. I would say the difference is with Jameis sometimes he has games like last week where he gets four touchdowns, one reception. You see why he was at number one overall pick what have you seen Bruce Arians doing with him differently to maybe give Buccaneers fans some hope that over these next twelve games he isn't going to dip into those deep, you know, kind of holes again, and he can remain consistent/slash be an elite type quarterback?
1: Well, this is going to sound like it's uh, blasphemy, but I think more teams need to do this. He 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 has fewer. He wants them to have fewer weapons and feed mm-hmm. the weapons that he has. So he doesn't have to feel like he has all these options on every play. So if you say against the Giants, this, the ball is going to Mike Evans. This is who we're going to feed. And last week, when you know the, the Los Angeles Rams tried to cover Chris Godwin with either the rookie Taylor Rapp or the nickelback uh, Nickel Roby Coleman, he tore him up. And so for two weeks in a row, the number one tandem of wide receivers in the NFL, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, got fed heavily to the point where you go, gosh, they've got OJ Howard and they've got Cameron Brate and they're not really getting the ball very much, but he's kind of telling them, we've got two guys that can flat out win. Let's feed those players. And I think more coaches should simplify it like that and not make these quarterbacks try to read the whole field. Every single play you have dominant players in those two players, get them the ball. And I think that's part of it. Clyde Christensen, who, was with Andrew Luck forever or, and Peyton Manning in Indianapolis is the quarterback coach. He's worked with him. Kurt Warner watches every game and he gives him notes after every game. But ultimately Jameis Winston wants to be great. And he's committed to it. And he's he's making fewer and fewer mistakes. He's made one mistake in each of the last two games. And it's been costly. One was a you know pick six and and then last week he threw an interception that got the Rams, kept the Rams in the game. But he he's made fewer and fewer mistakes. And I think that's the Jameis Winston you're gonna see. And I know he's got this he's got this track record of all these things that kind of travel with him. And he doesn't run from it. He's made those mistakes. But I think if you only concentrate on that about Jameis, you're not looking at what he really wants to be, which is a great, great quarterback. And I think Bruce is allowing him the opportunity to do it right now.
2: Yeah, I think what Bruce has done for Jameis Winston really shows, and I guess everyone listening to this is a a hardcore football fan, so they know, but it just really shows how critical – what, who your head coach is. I mean, he could completely change the career of the quarterback, and it seems like he's starting to do that early on for Jameis Winston because this was a make-or-break year for Jameis. If he was not good this year, he probably is not back in Tampa Bay in 2020. So, so far, the results are, are extremely encouraging. And Bruce Arians is another example of – how important it can be to hire the right person. And as we know, hiring can be a bit of a slow process. Cafe Altura's CEO Dylan Miskowitz needed to hire a director of coffee for his organic coffee company, but he was having trouble finding qualified applicants. So what do he do, Baldy? He switched to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply for your job. So you get qualified candidates quick and easy. Dylan posted his job on ZipRecruiter and said he was impressed by how quickly he had great candidates ready. He also used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants so he could focus on the most relevant ones. And that's how Dylan found his new director of coffee in just a few days. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. You can see why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. And you can try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter.com enter. ZipRecruiter Baldy, the smartest way to hire. And it wouldn't be another week in the NFL if another player wasn't trying to force his way out of his team. It's getting close mm. to the NBA. And I don't hate it. I like when players take their own control. I mm-hmm. like when they use the power they have. Uh, and frankly, for us, it's more exciting. So the latest player now, Stefan Diggs in Minnesota. He talked about it on Thursday. He was asked straight up if the rumors that he wants to trade are true. And he said there's truth in every rumor. So he didn't deny it. But he did go to practice, which he didn't do on Wednesday. And it speaks to a larger problem the Vikings are having, which is I remember for the first two weeks and in the preseason when we recorded this pod – I was super impressed with the Vikings. They have a very impressive week one victory over the Falcons, who might not be as good as we thought, but they absolutely demolished them. They go into Green Bay, make a late comeback, don't win the game, but, you know, play the Packers tough. But, man, things are falling apart for them there in Minnesota. So I have two main questions for you about the Vikings, and we'll start with this. Should they trade Stephon Diggs, or is this a situation where they say, you know what, we need him too bad, and our season's going to fall apart if we don't have him?
1: Well, I think that it's really early. Uh, Kirk Cousins has not played well, and that's a part of it. Mike Zimmer wants to be a run-first offense. He wants Dalvin Cook to lead the league in rushing. The problem is they played the Bears last week, and they couldn't piss a drop. So when the running game gets shut down up front without Akeem Hicks and without Roquan Smith, and they can't budge Abdul Anderson or any of the Bears, and you put the ball in Kirk Cousins' hands, he can't do it. He's an under 500 quarterback. Adam Thielen isn't getting the ball either. They both have, Diggs and Thielen have 13 catches apiece in the first month of the season. It's not a wide receiver business in Minnesota. I mean, they're asked to block far more than they are to catch the ball. Stephon Diggs is paid handsomely, as is Adam Thielen, to catch the ball and make big plays, and they're not even giving those guys a chance. So I think that's the source of Stephon Diggs' frustration. In a league that is pass-happy, And receivers are going to put up 90 to 100 catches in a lot of different places. These guys are going to get half of that right now. And so there is a growing frustration. Adam Thielen is as frustrated. He's just not acting it out. And Kirk Cousins came out and said this week, I have to play better. He missed Thielen on a go route behind Kyle Fuller last week that could have tied the game up. He missed it. But he misses a lot of throws. And so what is the offense? And that's what Stephon Diggs is looking at. He's like, look, if, if Mike Zimmer and Kevin Stefanski and Gary Kubiak, they want to be a run-first offense, and that's what they want to do. I mean, they threw the ball 10 times in a game this year. If that's what they want to do, then I don't want to stay here. And I think yeah. that's what Stefan Diggs is saying. And when you see some of these players kind of, you know, the squeaky wheel, you know, they get, you know, they get it's the old adage, right? So if they see other players kind of getting out, let's say for whatever reason, like they're gonna try to act up and make noise. Now, maybe you can get out. It's a big contract to take on, but certainly Stephon Diggs is a player, the the miracle and all that stuff that he did. But, I mean, he's he's a good player. I you know, maybe a great player. I don't know. I don't want to use that word, but he's he's a good player. He's got great quickness, he can beat man coverage, he can help out a lot of teams. But that's the frustration, that's what it's all about right now.
2: Yeah, and I think with Kirk Cousins. It surprises me a little bit that some people are surprised by what we're seeing. I mean, this is who Kirk Cousins has always been. It's who he was in Washington. He was, you mentioned the word 500 quarterback. It's basically what he is. Some weeks he looks great. Some weeks he looks awesome. I mean, he looks bad. I saw him go into Philadelphia and win the NFC East in one game, beat a Chip Kelly team in prime time at night. So he's capable sometimes of being that guy then he's also capable of being the guy who lost week 17 last year at home to the bears where they needed to win. And people always bring up the money with him. And to me, it's a little like when people bring up the money with Sam Bradford, where what's Kirk supposed to do? Turn the money down. I mean, he played the situation, right? He wasn't free agent at the right time. He got the first fully guaranteed contract in NFL history. That's what happens when you're even a decent quarterback. And you're a true free agent. I mean, how many good quarterbacks do we see actually hit the free agency market? So the money is, it's basically irrelevant to me when you come to Kirk Cousins. Mm -hmm. The Vikings are getting, getting who they always been. He's not playing worse than he did in Washington. I mean, well, maybe he is by a little, but he certainly isn't dramatically worse. And he hasn't been better, but this is who they got. I think that when you look at what they were without him, It's because everything kind of went perfectly for him that year with Case Keenum, right? I mean, they had, you mentioned the miracle catch to advance him. They were in danger of losing that first playoff game. So I think that their larger issue to me is Mike Zimmer. I agree with what you're saying. He's a run-first coach. Anytime you have a head coach in the NFL that only throws the ball 10 times in one game, that's a major red flag to me. Because even if you can run the ball, and they can do it well. And Dalvin Cook, we've talked about, one of the most impressive players in the league so far this season. Anytime you have a run-first head coach, the you are not going to be a, a consistent winner in this league. You have to throw the ball to win. The rules are really in the NFL built now for you to be able to throw the ball. They pass call pass interference easier. It's easier to protect the quarterback. It's, it's harder to, to sack the quarterback because you get flags. So if you pay Kirk Cousins all this money and then you have a run-first head coach, those two don't mesh. We talked earlier about how Andy Reid sits on the bench with Patrick Mahomes after every series. I don't know for sure, but I would be surprised if Mike Zimmer and Kirk Cousins spend a lot of time together on the sideline. He's more interested in running the ball. And then I think that he probably is not happy with Kirk Cousins with what he's been. But guess what? This is who you paid for. This is who you brought in. So I think they have some serious long-term issues there in Minnesota. And ultimately, the Kirk Cousins-Mike Zimmer marriage is not going to last. And we, you know, you mentioned the deal. mentioned the money. That's why Kirk Cousins will win out. Do you think Mike Zimmer, Kirk Cousins, long term, can be a winning combination to the point where they're winning, you know, 12, 13 games or 11 games to get a, a top four seed, to get the, that first round by and to actually make noise in the playoffs?
1: Well, it's still a good defense. It's still a good defense. And they they do have an elite runner. I think they just got to find some balance right now. And the, the, the hard part right now is it's clear that Kirk Cousins is not a confident quarterback. Now, I think he had confidence when he was in Washington, and I think the offense really fit him well, what Jay Gruden was doing. A lot of play action, a very good offensive line, um, and some Sundays an elite offensive line uh, when they were healthy. They didn't have the greatest weapons, but he had a lot of things going for him. Right now, he's not a confident quarterback. So how – and this is what they have to do. Along the way here, they play the Giants at the, at, you know up in the Meadowlands this weekend. Um, at MetLife Stadium. I'll be up there calling that game. And along the way here right now, in games that they they should win, they have to start to rebuild his confidence. They can't just assume that just because they're calling plays that he can just make all these plays. Because last week, the Bears just, they took a lot of starch out of him. They hit him. They caused fumbles. Um, He was not good against the Bears. And he heard it all week long. He can't beat the Bears. Well, if you can't beat the Bears, you know, your long-term coach and quarterback situation is not going to survive because you got to win in your own division to get to the playoffs. So that's their, I think that's the immediate need right now is to in games like the Giants this week on the road, start to rebuild the conference. That means throw the ball to Thielen and to Diggs, get the ball in their hands. Let them start to make some plays. I, I've done a film session with Adam Thielen. He is an unbelievable story at a Detroit lakes, Minnesota. I mean, You know, two tryout camps just to get a tryout with the Vikings. All this stuff. But University of Minnesota, Mankato, I mean, the story is unreal. Never left the state of Minnesota. But he can flat out run by any corner in this league. But you have to give him an opportunity. You got to throw it up to him. And if you're not taking deep shots to Adam Thielen, you're not really going to get the big chunk plays that offenses need to put up a lot of points in this league.
2: Yep, and you saw Kirk Cousins apologize to Adam Thielen this week. For missing him deep. So lots of issues there in Minnesota. I think your boy Daniel Jones is a good chance to win this week. I mean, you mentioned at Met, at, the fact that it's at MetLife is, a, is helpful. Daniel Jones 2-0. and Looks like Saquon might even play, which is pretty unreal when you look at even the practice footage of how good he looks so far. So going to be a good one there in New York between the Vikings and the Giants. But the other player trying to force his way out, and we've talked about him what feels like three weeks now on the Prevent Defense Podcast, is Jalen Ramsey. So the asking price is reportedly two first-round picks. They've had some teams, uh, according, I believe it was an NFL Network report, that a team offered two first-round picks, and the Jaguars still said no. They want high first-round picks. I think the Jaguars are making a bit of a mistake making the price tag this high for Jalen Ramsey. Uh, I think long run, he's not going to be there. It's clear that they're probably not interested in paying him. I mean, he showed up in a Brinks truck, and they still didn't get the deal done. He's not going to resign there he's not Khalil Mack where he's a game changing defensive end. I mean, the defensive end position is just more valuable than cornerback at this point. So you're not going to get probably two good first round picks for him. I think the Jaguars are making a mistake. I think they should take the best offer, move on from him. He's not practicing. He's not playing. It's just going to be a distraction. They have good things going on down there with Gardner Minshew. And then obviously Nick Foles is there to help the culture and will come back. So I do think they should just move on from Jalen at this point. But let me ask you. We'll, we'll we'll put you in the GM chair. Let's say you take over for your buddy there, Joe Douglas, and you're one of the new GMs in the league. Would you give up two first round picks for Jalen Ramsey?
1: No, I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And not and not that Jalen Ramsey is in every draft. He's he's an elite player. He's a different type of player. I mean, he's not playing in a scheme that really fits his skills the way say Marshawn Lattimore in New Orleans is playing, where he can just match up, you know, with the 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 team's best wide receiver the way. Xavier Rose has done it in the past with the Minnesota Vikings, where whatever number one receiver you get, Mike Evans, you know, Devontae Adams, uh, Michael Thomas. I mean, he travels. I mean, that's what he wants to do, and he's not in that scheme. So I understand a little bit of everything here, but I wouldn't give up two first-round picks. I'm a little bit like you, though, Elliot. Um, You know, if you think this all the way through, how many teams that really – covet I mean everybody would covet Jalen Ramsey I mean there's not right. a team that wouldn't want him but you know like you know say like the Giants got rid of Eli Apple last year I mean he's just a mar- he's a number two corner at best but the Saints can work with him because they have a good really good pass rush and they have a good scheme and you know they, they they've got a, a really good defense so he fits but two number one draft picks is a big part of anybody's future. Yep. To give up a player like that, that you're going to have to back up the Brinks truck to pay because he's going to demand top three cornerback money, if not top cornerback money. So you're right. I mean, the, between the compensation and the checkbook that you've got to write, how many teams would make that commitment? But at the same time, you're probably going to lose them anyways. So as much as Shad Khan and his son probably want to keep him, because they think that, you know, they can make it work. Maybe you're right, Elliot. Maybe the best thing is just get what you can get and move on and get the distraction out of there. I mean, he's yep. he's had other problems in that locker room. He started fights in his own team. La- was I'm saying say started fights. He was with, in fights with other teammates last year in his locker room. It hasn't been a smooth marriage. Um, at some point, it... it, it when they're winning games like they did in Denver last week and they're back in the race with this rookie sensation and they're playing rock Armstead and they're playing Juwan Taylor, all these rookies out there. I mean, if you lose Jalen Ramsey, are they going to fall apart? I don't think they're going to fall apart. No. So I, I, I so am with you. Yeah. Just
2: get what you can get right now. And the other thing too is, so you look at the Khalil Mack trade and I think the bears would do it again. And it's worked out and he's had a phenomenal year. He's, either him or Aaron Donald, Donald, best defensive players in the league, Bears didn't win a playoff game last year. And so the issue you have is for a team to give up two first-round picks and to to make that worth it, you would basically – almost have to win the Super Bowl or, or come pretty close. So you look at a team that might be willing to do it, and the Eagles are the prime example because they have a quarterback. Chicago doesn't have a quarterback. So if you don't have a quarterback, there's no point in trading for Jalen Ramsey right now because he's not going to come in and really change things that much for you. He'll make your defense better. He'll change the way offenses play you, but he's not going to ultimately be a difference maker to win you a, a playoff game because if Khalil Mack couldn't do it, then Jalen Ramsey won't be able to do it. So if the Jaguars want a team that's A, going to give them two first-round picks, and B, those picks are not going to be like 28 and above, then it's not going to happen. So they've made it unrealistic. They're making a distraction that shouldn't be there. I would go on and trade them. Another quick Jaguars question for you, though, because you mentioned the sensation that Gardner Minshew has been. Do you think they go back to Nick Foles when he's healthy? I know that's a few weeks out, and a lot could change. But again, Baldy, Baldy the GM... What would you do? Because we know the money they've invested in Nick.
1: Yeah, but you don't. You don't make the. I mean, if Minshew stays hot, you don't make the change. I mean, if you go back to say four years ago when Romo got hurt, and Dak Prescott came in, and everybody's like, "What do you do when you know Romo gets healthy?" I'm like, "You don't change. You don't change what Dak Prescott was doing. He was an extremely quarterback the first time he ever entered an NFL game, and they didn't make the change, and they shouldn't have made the change. And if Minshew wins games the way he did in Denver last week, then you don't make the change. You just wait it out. Now, a lot of things can happen between now and, and when Nick Foles gets healthy. But, you know, you certainly, as long as Minshew keeps playing well, and he's thrown seven touchdowns, one interception, he hasn't hurt his team at all, he makes good decisions. Nobody thought that the receiving core of DJ Chark, Keelan Cole, and D.D. Westbrook, and Joe O'Shaughnessy was some kind of elite core. But he's making him an elite core right now. And, look, I mean, I think Nick Foles played 11 snaps this year. All right? So, you know, it's it's really early. He took the team down and scored, uh, you know, in the opening drive against the Chiefs. But, really, you don't change if Gardner Minshew stays hot right now. You just don't. And But, you know, three or four weeks from now, a lot of things could change. But if Minshew plays like he did the last
2: two weeks against Tennessee and Denver, I wouldn't make the change. So – I, I agree with you to a certain extent, but the difference I see, and the Romo Dak is a good one, but the difference I see in that situation, and really versus a lot of situations like this, is they just signed Nick Foles to be their quarterback of the future. Like this wasn't, you know, Nick Foles isn't in his late 30s, right? Like they, they in theory thought Foles would be their guy if it worked out for four plus years. So let's say you you bench a healthy Nick Foles. Like, he's ready to go. Gardner Minshew's still winning. They're they're in Week 10. They're still in the in the playoff race. What do you do next year? And, like, what do you do with Nick Foles? He's not going anywhere. Do you have a quarterback competition next year with Gardner Minshew? What if Gardner Minshew takes him to the playoffs and wins again? What do you do with Nick Foles? Uh, so I think it's – look, it's kind of a good situation to have. It's one similar to what Nick was just in with the Eagles. So if I'm Nick, I'm sitting there and I'm saying – Coming here to Jacksonville was supposed to give me that power that Carson had in Philly, where even if I got hurt, no matter what backup, no matter what success my backup had, I was going to remain that guy. So I do think the Jaguars are in a in a tough spot. Again, good situation, two two quarterbacks, all that. But I think you have to go back to Foles unless you're ready to make Gardner your guy and accept the fact that you just gave Nick Foles an 80 plus million dollar deal to be a backup. Yeah, but
1: you're But all you wanted from Nick Foles with that money was somebody to play at the level that Gardner Minshew is playing at right now. That's all that matters. The money is the money's the money. Like, you know, Gardner can get hurt. He can go. He can fall off. People can start game planning him. He doesn't look like he really understands exactly what he's looking at. But he's making really good decisions. And he's been elusive and athletic. And he's doing all those kind of things. And he throws a very accurate ball. He's completing 70% of his passes. Um So And he's very fundamentally sound. His feet are in the ground. He squares his shoulder when he throws to his left. I mean, he does so many fundamentally things well. But ultimately, all you want is a guy that makes these third-down conversions, these big plays on fourth down, gets you in the end zone. That's what you want. So if he's doing that, then you just don't change. You worry about all of that when you have to, which is either if Minshew gets hurt, falls off the wagon and stops playing well, or you make that decision in the offseason. But it's not something that you worry about at all if things are going well for Gardner Minshew.
2: I guess it's just the quarterback controversy I've been dealing with in Philly for the last two years that has me thinking about it. But I'm very anxious to see what happens when Nick's healthy. I really am. I'm enjoying watching Gardner, but I'm very, very interested to see what the Jaguars do once Nick is back, especially getting to know Nick here in Philly. I mean, I'm sure it's killing him. He's on the sideline, and I'm sure he really wants that job back. I mean, he wants to play. He wanted his own team. That's why he went to Jacksonville. And to have that taken from him so quickly, just super sucks. Yeah, but but, but, you
1: know, look, I mean, Nick Foles has a long... Injury history. I mean, going back to Philadelphia, going to uh, St. Louis, going to, I mean, he wasn't there in Kansas City long, but I mean, he's had, in Philadelphia, he's had injuries. It it, it has followed him throughout his time as an NFL quarterback. It's derailed him in a couple of situations. So it's not like this is the first time. And he certainly understands what it's all about when he saw what happened to Carson in Philadelphia. So he knows what this industry is about. And just because somebody wrote you a big check doesn't guarantee anything. We've seen a lot of quarterbacks get big checks that, you know, got replaced, that didn't play well, that got hurt. Um, The the check is just that. I mean, it's an investment, but it doesn't guarantee anything.
2: Yeah, but if I'm Nick, I'm saying the reason I'm not in Philadelphia anymore is because of how much they invested in Carson. Now, Carson is a better quarterback, but how many quarterbacks around the league could win the Super Bowl for their team – win a playoff game for him the next year, and then have the job taken from him. So I agree with you. It's just money. We talked about how with Kirk Cousins, it doesn't really matter. But it's more about like the investment they've made in Nick. And to have that taken from him, it it would just suck for him. And it's the reality of the NFL, like, You mentioned the injury history. You can only get injured for so much before people are willing to say, all right, this guy that stepped in is doing your job better than you right now. We're going to have to stick with him. So definitely an interesting quarterback situation there in Jacksonville. And lots of interesting games on the Week 5 slate. We're going to get back to those on the Prevent Defense Podcast right after this.
0: Hey, this is Cody Decker from Swings and Misses, the Radio.com sports original, here to talk to you about HIMS. Now, baseball has done a hell of a job ruining my hairline over the years, and quite frankly, my wife can't stand it. Well, thank God I just started taking HIMS. Go to 4HIMS.com. 4HIMS.com is your one-stop shop for hair loss, skincare, and sexual wellness for men. Now, hair loss gets to be a decision rather than an absolute fate. HIMS connects you to real doctors and medical-grade solutions to treat hair loss. These are no snake oil pills or gas station counter supplements. No, this is real medication from doctors backed by science. Use promo code SWING and my listeners get a trial month of HIMS for just $5 today, right now, while supplies last. See website for full details and safety information. This would cost hundreds of dollars if you went to a doctor or a pharmacy. Go to 4hims.com slash SWING. That's 4hims spelled F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash
2: All right, Baldy. Week five is here. We have a bunch of really good games here. I know you got your whiteboard there. I can just picture you looking at it, seeing which games you're most interested in. Two games I want to pick your brain on, two that I think are really good. Green Bay at Dallas. Both teams coming off a loss. Both teams entering last week, reviewed as maybe the best two teams in the NFC. This is a sneaky big game for both because if you're Dallas, you lose two straight. And you say, okay, well, we lost. We beat the, the the Dolphins and you know all these bad teams, but we lost only two two good teams we faced And Green Bay. On the flip side, can then say we've lost two in a row after getting off to a hard start. So this is a sneaky big five game for Week Five. What are some of the key matchups you're looking at in this one?
1: Well, I think you know the Green Bay Packers got thumped in the trenches when they played the Eagles on a Thursday night. Now they have ten days to get ready, which is you know that's like uh, an extra bye week for guys to get healthy. And to kind of look at what happened and why they surrendered 173 yards in the, passing, in, in the run game to the Eagles, because um, the Cowboys are more than capable of doing the same thing to Green Bay. In fact, they might even be more capable. They have a better back, and their offensive line is capable of doing the same things to the Green Bay Packers and pushing all those guys around, all those guys that are basically pass rushers. Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, uh, Rashawn Gary. They play a dime defense. So... You know, when you look at them right now, uh, Blake Martinez is their inside linebacker. But they really don't have another inside linebacker. They can't. When they try to play big, they're putting B.J. Goodson in there, who they got from the New York Giants. But they don't really want to play that. But they're going to have to play that. And so that's one side of the ball. On the other side of the ball, you saw it, Elliot. You were up in Green Bay. Does this offense of Green Bay look anything really different than what Aaron Rodgers has done before. I mean, I don't see anything that says this thing is a transformation. It's better for Aaron. I see Aaron take the snap and drop back and do what Aaron does, which is basically try to extend plays and wait for somebody to pop open. He hasn't thrown a touchdown pass in the first month to Devontae Adams. He's an elite player, but they can't really get the ball to him. They don't have good tight ends. Their guards are average, so they're limited by what they really can do. Jimmy Graham is a wide receiver. He can't block his shadow. So they don't really they, – they look pretty incomplete offensively. They're down there three times knocking on the Eagles' you know, goal line. They come away with three points, including an interception and a stop on fourth down. I mean, they, they've got to fix that, and I don't know that, that they have the personnel to fix it. So to me, the Packers, while 3-0 is great and taking the ball away – against the teams they did, Denver on the team, Minnesota, the teams they took it away from, that's great. Dallas doesn't really turn the ball over. Dak takes care of it. Zeke doesn't really fumble. I mean, if they're preying on turnovers to beat Dallas in Dallas, they've got to play more sound in the trenches than what we saw against the Eagles.
2: Yeah, and a lot, I mean, the Packers had, I'm pretty sure their best game of the season offensively against the Eagles. They moved the ball pretty well. But as you said, it was nothing schematic. I mean, this was the Eagles breakdowns on defense, a lack of pressure, and the Packers simply winning one-on-one matchups, going up and making catches, Aaron Rodgers extending plays. Aaron Rodgers probably had his best game of the year against the Eagles. It's knocking they're not going to be able to do that against Dallas. At least I don't think they will. That Dallas defense is way better. They have a way better pass rush and they have a way better secondary. So, if if they go into Dallas to win, they're going to have to out-coach. That that Matt LaFleur and that new offense, quote unquote, is going to have to out-coach Dallas's defense and beat them schematically, and I don't see them doing that. And on the flip side, as you mentioned, the, the Packers defense has been really good, but they just got smoked by Doug Peterson and Dallas is coming off the worst offensive game of the year. So I'm excited to see what Kellen Moore can do if he tries to kind of duplicate NFL, copycat league, duplicate what the Eagles were able to do, which was run the ball and get the ball out of, their, out, of the, out of the pocket quickly. Carson Wentz got rid of the ball quicker against the Packers than he did any other team, any other game this year. So if I'm Dak and I'm Kellen Moore and I'm this Cowboys offense, I'm going in, I'm saying, well, we have better running backs than the Eagles, so I'm going to run the ball a lot. Dak does an excellent job just kind of running the offense, getting it out quickly. So I'm going to do that. And let's see if Kellen Moore can put together a type of game plan Doug Peterson did. Doug's one of the best offensive minds in the league. Kellen Moore quickly kind of climbing those ranks. He's not in the same stratosphere as Doug yet, but he's kind of shown he has ability to do that. So I think it's going to be a really good game. I think it'll be close. Ultimately, I'm going to pick the Cowboys just because I think they're the better team. They're at home. And although they lost to the Saints, and without Drew Brees, you say, okay, that's a bad loss. But the Saints are obviously still really good. So I'm going to pick the Cowboys in this one. Baldy, who you got?
1: I'm taking the Cowboys because I just know how the Cowboys are are built. They're built NFC tough. I mean, they're eight deep, deep on the defensive line. They rotate them. They keep them fresh. Uh, Robert Quinn really came on last week against the Saints. Um, and then defense, I mean, just the offensive line of the Cowboys, I'm sure they watched the same film that I watched. Uh, they're not happy with their performance against the Saints at all. And I'm sure Zeke is not I don't think Zeke has two bad games in him. I mean, I just he's just not that type of player. And he's not that type of performer. So I'm sure Zeke has I think he's watched all his, you know, runs from last week. I don't think it was 17 runs or 18 runs. But I, I'm sure that Zeke is looking at this going, we're so much better than what we showed against the Saints, and we're gonna take it out on the Packers. And I've seen Zeke against the Packers before. And while they may load the box and do all the things that you can do to stop him, I've seen him punish the Packers in the second half before. And that's when Zeke gets his big runs because he's, a, he, he's one of the few punishing runners in this NFL where he's looking to batter you and he's looking to run you over and he's looking to break your will. He has that type of power and strength. And I would look for Zeke as long as the game is close or the Cowboys have the lead of punishing runs in the second half against the Packers.
2: Yeah, it's still two weeks away, but man, oh man, am I excited for this Cowboys Eagles game in two weeks. We oh. went we have to do like a two and a half hour preview pod, a four hour post pod on that one. So that is going to be an amazing game, but all right, the second game here, I wanted to pick your brain on. We've talked about the 49ers a little bit, haven't talked about the Browns as much yet who are coming off of an impressive win over the uh, Baltimore Ravens. So Cleveland at San Francisco, I think it's an advantage, obviously, for the Niners for the the fact that they're at home. I think that gives them a a much better chance. We're going to have to see Kyle Shanahan score some points because I think the Browns are going to be able to. I mean, the 49ers' defense has been pretty good, but we're going to have to see uh, Jimmy Garoppolo really kind of have a good game here. Who do you like? What matchups are you looking at? Browns at 49ers.
1: So let's go back to the Browns here, uh, Elliot, to Sunday night against the Rams. They're allowed 20 to 13. They're at the four-yard line of the Rams. And they throw the ball four times in a row, four incompletions. And they lose the game. And Freddie Kitchens, the worst coach ever, and Baker can't play and all this stuff. And in seven days, they went down to Baltimore and they put up a 40-burger, which they haven't done since Baker's first start in the NFL against the Raiders when they put up 42 in a shootout to the Raiders and they lost. What'd they do? Well, they put Farrell Brown, who is this versatile H-back, tight end, fullback, into the backfield. And they became a two-back team. And they said, we're going to run the ball against the Ravens. And Nick Chubb had his best game since he played the Falcons a year ago. He ran for 165 yards, and he was sensational. And he ran for three touchdowns, and they were all behind Farrell Brown. They went to become a two-back offense. They said, we're going to run the ball. We're going to protect Baker, and we're going to play action. And Jarvis Landry had his best game as a Brown. And Mm -hmm. in one week, they did a subtle change, but Farrell Brown was the – unheralded MVP of the game. He touched the ball once. He caught it. In fact, he touched the ball for the first time in his three-year career. He caught a pass on a check down for Baker on, on Sunday. But when you watch that team, they look completely different. They have been playing great defense. Even when their secondary was banged up against the Rams, they played great defense. And they're a very good defensive team. They don't let the ball get behind them. They haven't all year. Nobody can block Miles Garrett. Um, look, if Shaq Barrett wasn't having this, like this Marvel character type of season, superhero type season, then Miles Garrett is the MVP of this league. But so defensively, I think they'll play very well against the 49ers. And I think offensively, they fixed a lot of the things that were broken the first three weeks of the season. They still commit way too many penalties. The one thing about the 49ers, they get two weeks, they have 15 days to get ready for this game. The last time they played, they turned it over five times. They can get sloppy with the football, Elliot. If they get sloppy with the football against the Browns, they'll have no shot at home. There is no home field advantage at Levi Field. The fans don't believe in this organization or this team. They don't support them yet. They might, if they really win this game and jump out to a 6-0 start, they, they might come back the way they did in the 80s and 90s. But they don't support this team. It's not a good place for a stadium. All of those things are true. So it's not like... You know, the Browns gonna go in there, they won't be able to operate. You know, the way the Cowboys went to New Orleans and were having a hard time operating. It's not yep. gonna it's not like that. Um th- this this game is gonna reveal so much about both teams. If the Browns go in there and win on Monday night, the Browns are for real and they'll be the favorites in the NFC North. If the 49ers win, then they are for real. And everything that they've done over three years with John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan is coming to fruition and they're going to be a juggernaut and maybe the team to beat in the NFC West. So it's one of these games that it's just revelation Monday night. That's what it is.
2: Yeah. And the 49ers just in, they they brought back Jordan Matthews, my boy from here in Philadelphia. So big game changing move for them, obviously on the offensive side of the ball, but I agree with you. I think it's silly how far out that stadium is from the actual city. I remember being at the Super Bowl a few years ago, ago, and it's wild to me that if you're a 49ers fan, you have to travel that far out to go to the game. I mean, it would be like if, you know, the, the Giants stadium was in Philly or if the Eagles stadium was out in Harrisburg. Like, it definitely doesn't make it easy for fans to go out and support those teams. So, all right, let's get to one quick Twitter question before we go. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we love when you guys tweet us your questions. And I'm going to just ask you this one straight up because I I talk about Sidney Jones enough. But um, we have a question here. It says, Baldy was bullish on Sidney Jones when he was rehabbing back in 2017. What do you think are some realistic expectations for Sidney Jones now? Sidney Jones, of course, the cornerback, was going to be probably the first cornerback in that draft selected before he tore his Achilles uh, at his pro day in Washington. He's really struggled with the Eagles. What have you seen so far from Sydney? And do you think the Eagles should still have some hope that he'll be able to make an impact for them? Well, I mean, they need healthy
1: cornerbacks. So he got hurt against the Packers on Thursday night. Um, He's got to stay healthy. They have played him inside in the slot, which I don't think he's a very good slot defender. He's just not physical enough inside. And I don't know that the quickness that he might have had before the Achilles tear is there to handle a lot of the slot receivers and some of the routes that they run inside. And certainly in the run game, he's almost a liability in there. But outside, he struggled as well. I mean, the Detroit Lions, you know, throw a you know touchdown pass to Marvin Jones against zero coverage, and he has a hard time staying with him. And he's, he's gotten beat his share of time. But the good thing is Eagles need corners. He's going to play. I mean, when he gets healthy, he's going to play. He's going to either play himself into a role or out of a role. Uh, with this Eagles team in the future of it because they just don't have that they got to keep healthy bodies and they're going to play they're going to play City if he's healthy Ronald Darby probably is their starting corner when he's healthy um, Rasul Douglas looks like the starting corner but there's a rotation there there has been a rotation um, I think Avante Maddox is their best corner but he got hurt carried off in a stretcher I heard he wanted to come back off the stretcher and go back in a game um, you know I mean that's what kind of guy he is but he, I I think the Eagles struggle because they don't have a real nickel corner the way Patrick Robinson was two years ago, the way Cravon LeBlanc played before he tore his uh, Liz Frank this year or had the Liz Frank injury this year. They don't really have a pure nickel. And they've they've had weaknesses outside because of lack of pass rush. So what do I think about Sidney Jones? He's going to get plenty of opportunities to keep playing this year. He has to stay healthy, and he's got to get better. You know that. Look, you you'll give up big plays in this game playing corner. The rules are just good, but you have to take it away. You got to make your share of plays too, and so, you know, the let's just say Marcus Peters. You know, the Rams will live with some of Marcus Peters' mistakes and some of his attitude, but he'll take the ball away, you know, like he did uh, against the Bucs and had a pick six. You you've got to make your share of plays too, and there's a trade-off out there at that position, and it's time for sitting right now in his third year to start making some of
2: those plays. Yeah. The good news for Sydney is a, he's going to get a lot of opportunities, but B in two weeks, he goes to Minnesota to play the Vikings. So that should be at least a good match for him wise, because you might only see 11 passes. So I agree with you. Sydney's going to get the chances. Uh, I'm, I'm skeptical he'll turn into something. I hope he does. He's a really good guy. I think he has the potential. But he just had trouble staying healthy, and it's really a shame to see. So, All right, Baldy, this time next week, maybe we'll be talking about Jalen Ramsey on the Eagles, and we'll definitely be talking about everything that happens in week five here. So for the Prevent Defense Podcast, I'm Elliot Shore Parks, one and only Brian Baldinger. Baldy, I will talk to you next week.
1: You got it, Elliot. Thanks, man.